This morning I want to share with you on the power of the cross, the power of the cross, and the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is at the very, it's the very heart, it's the very centre of the Christian life, of Christianity. Without, without the cross, there is no forgiveness. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, there's no eternal life. Without the cross, there's no living in heaven with, with Jesus for all eternity, forever and ever and ever. And we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You were healed. And there the Apostle Paul, he's, he's looking back to the cross. He's looking back to, back to Calvary. And, and so he says, by your stripes you were healed. You were healed. So we see from that verse that Jesus bare our sins in his body on the tree or on the cross. He bare our sins. He took the judgment we deserve. He took the punishment that we deserve. And so that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. He became sin so that our sins could be forgiven. And he also became sick. And through his stripes, Peter says, you were healed. Through his stripes, through his wounds, you were healed. So in the cross, in the death of the Lord Jesus, there is provision not only for the forgiveness of sins, but it speaks in that same verse about provision for the healing of our bodies. By his stripes, by his wounds, you were healed. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 2, again, he's talking about the cross, and he says, I am determined, I, I, I am determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ, and save him crucified. And then again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 17 and 18, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It is foolishness. To the unbelievers, the preaching of the cross is, is absolute nonsense. It is foolishness. But unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. It is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. And the cross is at the very heart of Christianity. It was the very heart of, of Paul's ministry. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, Galatians 6 and verse 14, he says, But God forbid that I should glory 
He's not going to glory in anything that he's done. He's not going to glory in any of his achievements. He's not going to glory in any, any of his accomplishments. But he says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The main purpose of Jesus' life it was to go to the cross. That was, that was the goal. That was the perfect purpose. Jesus was born to die. He was born to die. That was the purpose of his life. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, Jesus, he came to be a great preacher. That is true. Jesus came to teach and to expound and to explain the Old Testament scriptures and to teach the, you know, the gospel, the good news. And that is true. In fact, he was. He was the greatest preacher that ever has been. He was the greatest teacher that has ever come. Some people say, well, Jesus came to heal the sick. That is true. He healed the sick. He healed the lepers. He raised the dead. He did miracles. That is true. He came to heal. Others say, well, he came to deliver. That is true. Everywhere he went, he went. He cast out the evil spirits. He came. He, break, he broke bondages that people were under. You know, that, that is true. He came to seek the lost. That is true. Uh, but the main reason that Jesus came, he came not just to preach and to teach and to heal and to deliver and, and so on. Jesus came. He came to earth. And we remember at this Christmas season, we remember the birth of Jesus and how he was born in a, in a manger and how he was born in Bethlehem. And we remember it at the season, at this time of the year. But why did he come? He came to go to the cross. He was born to die. He was born to go to the cross. He was born to hang on the cross. He was born for Calvary. And Satan knew that. And so even from way back in the Old Testament times, from thousands of years ago, Satan tried to destroy the line, the lineage through which Christ, the Messiah, would be born. If we go back to the time of Moses, some 1,500 years before, before the birth of Jesus. And... We know there that a decree had been given by Pharaoh that every male child was to be killed, was to be cast into the river. And that was because the, you know, the Jews were multiplying in Egypt. And we see that in Exodus 1, 22. At the time of the, the kings of Judah, in fact, there was one queen, the kings, but there was one queen who, who usurped the throne. And it was the, her name was Queen Athaliah, a wicked woman. And she, was the, she became queen of Judah for a time. And she ended up killing all the royal seed. And it was the royal seed from the tribe of Judah. That was the lineage through which Christ was going to be born. But the little baby, Joash, he was saved. And later he became the child king, king of Judah at the tender age of eight years of age. 
But again, it was an attack of Satan to, to wipe out, to wipe out that line of Judah through which Jesus was going to be born. And then some years later, at the time of Queen Esther, who was married to the Persian king Ahasuerus, there was a, a wicked plan, a wicked plan of Haman to wipe out, to destroy, to completely wipe out the Jewish race, of course, through which Christ was to be born. And Esther, whose fact that she was a Jew was hidden at first, but then later on she, she revealed that she was a Jew. And she was willing to go before the king, which was at great risk in those times. And she was willing to even to give her life. And she said, well, if I perish, I perish. But she was told by her cousin Mordecai, you know, you need to go in before the king. And she was willing to go in before the king on behalf of, half of his on behalf of her own people, the Jewish race. And, you know, who knows, Mordecai said, that God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe God, you know, has brought us to the kingdom. He's brought each one of us to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, I mean, we're living in, in difficult times we're living in times where there's great turmoil, there's great darkness throughout the world, there's great confusion. But also, we're living in wonderful times, exciting times, when God is preparing his church for the greatest revival that has ever been. I mean, what, a, what an incredible privilege to be, uh, to be alive in this time. And, you know, as Satan was trying to stop the purposes of God happening for Jesus' life. And he was trying to stop Jesus being born, even being born, to wipe out the, that royal seed through which Christ was going to be born. And so, because there was a destiny for Christ's life, and there's a destiny for each one of us, there's a destiny for each one of us to prepare us and ready for the specific task God has got for us you know, in the days ahead, in the outpouring of the Spirit, in revival and blessing. And even as the enemy opposed Christ and the purposes being filled through Christ, so the enemy is going to seek to do everything he can to oppose God's will being fulfilled in your life and my life. But Jesus died on the cross. Hallelujah. And because of the death on the cross, he is defeated. He is defeated. And the one living in us is greater than all the power of Satan and the enemy. And with Esther, instead of the Jews being all destroyed, wicked Haman and his family, they, they were the ones who were wanting to destroy them. They were destroyed and the Jewish race was wonderfully saved. And then even at the birth of Jesus, at the time when Jesus was born, which we're remembering now, the evil King Herod, he slew all the male children, two years and under, with the express purpose of seeking to kill, to kill Jesus, to kill him while he was just a little child, to kill him before he would go to the cross. And then as Jesus grew up, and he 
was baptized in water and his earthly ministry began. It was like God the Father. You know, when Jesus grew up, his earthly ministry began at the time of his baptism and it was then that his ministry for only three and a half years was fulfilled. And it was as at his baptism when his ministry was the beginning of his ministry. That was the time when it was as if God the Father was putting Jesus into a bow and was pulling the, the arrow and then releasing it, releasing it. And when you shoot a bow, you, there's a bullseye. You aim for a target. There's, there's a target that you're, you're aiming for. And it was God the Father putting Jesus into the, into the bow, releasing it. And the bullseye, of course, was the cross. And so Satan was doing everything he could, everything he could, to deflect Jesus, to turn him off the path, to get into another path, and to deflect him from hitting the mark and going to the cross. And we need to be careful in our life. It's the same way. The enemy's going to do all he can to deflect you from running your course, from hitting the mark God has ordained for you, for doing the will of God. And he's going to, there'll be all kinds of attacks. And there'll be different, there'll be different attacks and, and different ones. God has a different purpose for each one. And the way God deals with each one is going to be different. So don't try and copy somebody else. But, but understand what is happening. The enemy's going to attack, and he's going to do all he can to turn you away from the, God's best for you, his, his plan to, to hit spiritual Mount Zion, to hit the goal that God has before us. And Jesus was... As it were, that, that arrow, that sharp arrow, that arrow that had been prepared, that arrow which had been was smooth, that arrow which had a sharp tip, that arrow which had the word of God in his mouth, that arrow that had been prepared, the humanity of Jesus was prepared. And he had been prepared, and as the arrow of God, he was sent forth. His goal was the cross. As I said, not just to teach or to preach or to heal or to deliver, but to go to the cross. In the third temptation of Christ, after Jesus had been fasting 40 days, 40 nights, was very weak. And no doubt that intense hunger had returned. And, you know, Satan took Jesus into a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world at the same time, at the same time. And it was as if Satan was showing the Lord how he could shortcut, a shortcut to the cross. In other words, how he could bypass the cross. And he saw, Satan told Christ, as the prince of this world, which we see in John 12, verse 31, that he would give him all the kingdoms of the world. Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will worship me. Jesus replied, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then again in Luke 4, 29 and 30, when Jesus goes to his own hometown, where he was brought up for those first 
approximately 30 years of his life. And they, they led him. They led him to the top of the hill on which Nazareth was built. And with Nazareth, it's built, and there's a very hill, sharp hill going right down. And they, they led him to the brow of the hill, or the top of the hill, uh, where the city was built. And they were planning to kill him by, th- by throwing him off the top of that cliff, right down to his death. However, you know, Jesus miraculously escaped through the midst of them and went his way, as it was not his time to go to death, not his time to die. It was not his time to die. He knew it was his time to die. He knew when it was his time to die. One time I was in a, a real hurricane in the Philippines many years ago. I mean, the storm was, was a huge storm. I mean, the boat could have sunk and everyone could have drowned. But at that time, you know, I, I had a peace in my heart. God gave me a peace, and it was the, like the peace of God. And one of the thoughts that came to me when I was there, and, and I think it gave me the peace, that I knew that there was a plan for my life. There was a purpose for my life. And, and then I, I knew in my spirit it, that it had not been fulfilled. It had not been fulfilled. And so that was a cause of giving you know, tremendous peace even in the midst of a great turmoil and something that could have ended in great disaster and the ship sinking and, and many being killed, many being drowned. But, you know, in the midst of that, I mean, God gave me that peace and that sense of there's a destiny, there's a purpose for my life. It's not yet been accomplished. And we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to go through it. And, you know, Jesus, here was Satan trying to kill Jesus before the time, and through these people from Nazarene trying to throw him over the cliff to his death. When Jesus was urged to go from Galilee to Jerusalem in John 7, this is about six months before he went to the cross, Jesus replied, in John 7 and verse 6, Jesus replied, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. My time is not yet come. And then Jesus repeats that again a couple of verses later in verse 8. Again he's saying, basically, my time is not yet come. And so he knew he had to go to Jerusalem. He knew that he had to die. But he knew that it had to be in God's appointed time. God's appointed time. And Jesus tried to prepare the disciples for the cross and for his death and for his resurrection. And in Mark 8 and verse 31, Mark 8 and verse 31, it tells us there that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days to rise again. And so Jesus was preparing them. He was telling his disciples he's going to be killed. He was killed you know, on the cross, and, but, but after three days he would rise again. And here in this verse, Jesus is foretelling his death on the cross to his disciples. And 
That's in chapter 8. But in chapter 9, that's in chapter 8.31, but in chapter 9.31 of Mark, Again, Jesus repeats the same thing. He tells them again. He's going, going to Jerusalem. He will suffer. He will be killed. He'll rise again. And then he repeats it again in the next, in, in the next chapter, Mark chapter 10 and verse 34. So Jesus repeats it, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. But in spite of, you know, multiple times Jesus repeating it, it's like, it didn't sink in. They didn't get it. They didn't. They, they they did not comprehend. And then even the night, very night before the cross, Jesus knelt and he prayed at Gethsemane and he said, "Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." And he said, "Father, if you're willing." Jesus did not want to take that cup. Jesus was at Gethsemane. Jesus was praying. He'd asked Peter, James, and John to pray with him and to help support him. They fell asleep. Three times it happened. And then Jesus agonized in prayer, agonized in prayer. And his intensity in prayer and the agony in prayer was so great that the blood vessels from his brow broke and there were drops of blood that fell to the ground. I mean, what incredible, what intensity of pressure, what, in, what great pressure that, that Jesus, Jesus faced. And that cup, the reason was, is the cup represented the sin of the world. And Jesus was almost, almost as if Jesus was saying, Father, Father, I, I don't want to take this cup. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? But he was willing, if necessary, he was willing to take the cup, which meant the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, even though we'd never been born, the sin of humanity being placed on Jesus. And he knew that when that happened, he'd be separated from his heavenly Father because God, a holy God, can not look upon sin. And so Jesus was, you know, is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this was offered to the spotless Son of God. And Jesus knew in the agony of his soul he would become sin. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 tells us that, you know, Jesus became, he became sin for us. When he took of that cup, he became sin for us who knew no sin so that you and I might become righteous, that we might, would become the righteousness of God. And God was striving. You know, God was striving against all the... For Jesus was striving against all the forces of hell that were seeking to break his will and to cause him to turn back. And right in that critical time, Jesus was, he was strengthened by an angel. He was strengthened by an angel. And 
you know, being in agony, prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And so in prayer, Jesus overcame and went to the cross. You know, it's through the cross our sins are forgiven. That is the tremendous power of the cross, that actually our sins can be forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ and the shed blood, which we're shortly going to partake of. And when Jesus drank of the cup at Gethsemane, the sin of the world was upon him. Jesus, who had never sinned, became sin for us. And so we think, we think of the suffering of Jesus, you know, that how he was scourged and he was spat upon and the crown of thorns was put in his head and the nails went through his hand and his feet. We think of, we think, that's what we think of when we think of the suffering of Christ. But... And that was very, and that true, that is very great suffering that he went through in his physical body. But for Jesus, the main suffering was not so much the physical suffering. The main suffering was when he took that cup and that he would be separated from his heavenly father. That was a greater suffering for Jesus than the physical suffering that he endured. And that he, he was all alone. He was all alone. And that's why after three hours on the cross and he's there hanging on the cross and there's darkness over all the land and, he, and then Jesus cries with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. The words in Aramaic, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it was because that cup, he'd taken of the cup, the sin of the world was Upon him. The sin of the world was upon him. A holy God had to be separate from sin. And, you know, Jesus had accomplished the will of the Father, the divine destiny for his life. And he cried out from the cross. He cried out from the cross. John 19, verse 30. Jesus cried out, you know, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. And so there, Jesus accomplished the will of the Father. Jesus accomplished the destiny that God had brought him to earth for. He accomplished his destiny from the water baptism through his three and a half years of his ministry. The goal was the cross. And he hit the mark. He did the will of the Father. He accomplished all that God had ordained for his life. The divine destiny for his life was fulfilled. And there is a divine destiny. There's a divine destiny for every one of our lives. And you know, sometimes in the midst of the trials and the hardships and the things we're facing, you know, we, we, our eyes get clouded, misty. We, we don't see. You know, what is ahead? You know, if only, you know, God, if our eyes were opened, we could see what God has in store for us 
and the tremendous joy, tremendous revival, the tremendous rewards in eternity forever and ever and ever. Oh, by his grace, we'd be willing to go through, go through anything. See, before the cross, the sins of men were, were covered superficially by the blood of animals, and the, but the, it didn't last. They, need, they needed to shed blood year by year, every, every, every time. There was, no, there was no power to cleanse the guilty conscience. All of the Old Testament sacrifices, they looked forward to the cross when the Redeemer himself would completely take away our sins. And also his blood, his blood is able to purify. The blood of Jesus shed there on the cross is able to purify our conscience. You know, no psychologist can do that. No psychiatrist can do that. No doctor can do that. No man can do that. Hebrews 9 verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works. Purge your conscience. Purge, take away from our conscience dead works, works of the flesh, to serve the living God. You know, the, the, the blood of bulls and goats, it did not have the power to purge the conscience. But the blood of Jesus can cleanse us, can purge our conscience completely, that we can be completely delivered from, you know, sin and condemnation in our hearts of past sins. Pastor Bailey told the story one time of a, of a certain pastor. I think he committed adultery, and, but there was great conviction of sin, and you know there was real repentance in his heart. And he desperately wanted to get back to the Lord. And he cried out for six weeks. He cried out for six weeks. He cried out every morning. He cried out every day for six weeks. Oh God, oh God, please forgive me. Oh God, please forgive me. Oh God, please forgive me. Every day, every day. Went on day after day, week after week, six weeks. And then after six weeks, he heard an audible voice. Forgive you for what? Audible voice. And the pastor replied, Lord, you know, you know for what? And then again, the audible voice said to him, you asked me to forgive you. I forgave you, and I have forgotten. And he said, now you forget too. You forget too. I have forgotten. You forget too. You know, such, and, and the Lord said that because he saw in his heart there was, there was genuine, true, true repentance. He was willing to forsake it and turn completely from it. And such is the power of the blood of Christ to purge our conscience from the works of the flesh to serve the living God. You know, a cleansed conscience enables us to come into God's presence. It enables us to be at peace with ourselves. It enables us to have self-esteem. You know, we're made in the, in the image of God to glorify him. And it, it enables us, we've got a clear conscience, it enables us to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. 
And you know, no matter what a person has done, no matter how bad a person has sinned, you know, no one is beyond the Lord. And I was just thinking, and, and, and I just remembered as I was preparing this, this word, that in May, it was in May 2008, and I, I looked it up yesterday, and Marilyn and I, we were in El Salvador. We'd been teaching there at the Bible school, we'd been teaching for a week, and in the afternoon, the, the, there was a prison there, the Mariona Prison, Mariona Prison in San Salvador. And the country, in, in years gone by, there's been much bloodshed in the country. There's been, you know, there's been civil war there, there's been many people have been killed, thousands killed. In fact, at one time, it was one of the most dangerous countries in the world. And this Mariona prison in, in the capital, it was the biggest prison, it was over 3,000 there, and there were, you know, several divisions of, depending on the crime committed, but about through the pastor we were working with, and then the, the director of the prison was a Christian, and anyway, we, we had this amazing opening, and I had the privilege of preaching to about 400 of these worst criminals. Some of them were murderers and for all kinds of drug things and, 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 and criminal, and you know, many had committed murder and terrible things that they'd done. And you think, well, you know, can their conscience be cleansed? Could that ever be cleansed? Could they ever be forgiven? And about four of them came out, about 400 of them came out into the yard. And then I was there, I had my interpreter, and then I, I, I preached to them about the two thieves, either side of Jesus. And, you know, one of them who was, who was forgiven. And... As I preached, it was just like the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the fear of the Lord came. It just like almost like fell. And there was just a holy hush. And these, these hardened criminals, you know, just suddenly went, they suddenly went quiet, and there was a, like a holy hush, and they 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 were just listening so intent, intently. And almost I felt at that time, almost I felt like a, an anointing of the Spirit just coming, up, coming over me. And I knew, knew, you know, I knew it, it wasn't me speaking. It was, it was like the Lord speaking through me. And, and then I gave a challenge at the end. And then eight, there, were, there were 18, 18 of these worst criminals. They came publicly in front of the others. They came up publicly in front of the others. And they... Uh, you know, they knelt down there. I got them to pray the sinner's prayer after, after me. They gave their lives to Jesus. They were forgiven. They were forgiven. Oh, the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the cross of the Lord Jesus to purge and cleanse every sin at the cross, at the cross. And it was through his precious blood. Oh, what the Lord has done for each one of us. He became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God.